glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. So if you're in your Bible, Matthew 27, verse 33, and we'll read down through verse 54. Matthew 27, beginning verse 33. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall, and when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him, and parted his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God, and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now if he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. The thieves also, notice that's plural, not singular. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holiest city, and appeared unto many. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. The Bible says some of them, and some of the other accounts, smote upon their breasts, meaning when it was all done, they, they had a sense, this man is exactly who he claimed to be. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, what I want to do is we're going to bring into focus, there's a number of statements made while Jesus is hanging on the cross. We might have the idea that at that point in time when the Lord Jesus had performed his miracles, proving he was not a mere man, when he lived the sinless life, that he had this huge following and a, an elite minority, uh, they, they plotted against him, conspired against him, and crucified him. But the truth is, the truth is that seven days prior to this, if I've got my math right, he had come into Jerusalem and they're trying to make him a king. The triumphal entry, the masses of Jerusalem. He's our king. Seven days later, the same people are saying, crucify him. Many of the same people. Many of the same people that got all caught up in his coronation are now caught up in his crucifixion. One better not live their lives based on the whims of the crowds, I would say that. I find in Acts, Paul and Barnabas in one moment 
are, uh, are being worshipped as gods, and the next they're in trouble with the crowd, and people are trying to kill them. And so the, the disposition of a culture is, is fickle. And what happened here, the Bible tells us that the Jewish people behind their leadership decided to be rid of the Lord Jesus. And so as we come into the cross, there's a number of different people surrounding the cross from the high priest and the religious leaders, the priests and the, the scribes and those kind of people are surrounding the cross. There's a number of soldiers there. And most everybody agrees on one thing. He must not be who he claimed to be or he wouldn't be where he's at. Would we agree? Isn't that what pretty much everybody was saying? He must not be who he said he was or he wouldn't be pinned up on a cross. May I say there's an attitude like that in our culture today. If Jesus was who the Bible says he was, wouldn't Christianity make greater strides? And wouldn't, you know, wouldn't people who claim to know the Lord, they make all kinds of, of statements demeaning and belittling and questioning the legitimacy of Christ. And again, so we might have the idea that Way back then, most people actually believed on him and most people knew who he was. But may I say, God has never had a period of time where it doesn't require faith to come to him. Meaning where you have to take God at his word. We might say, if I lived in the days of Jesus, when he walked on earth and performed miracles, it would be easier to believe on him then than it is now. But that's not true. That's not true. There were those who watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead and they still didn't believe on him. Can you imagine watching a man tell a dead man come out of the tomb and the dead man actually comes out and still saying, I don't think that man's anything but an imposter. Can you imagine? But there were were many who did. And so here's all I want us to see is that really in in 2,000 years, we still today are given the choice to either believe God or reject what he says. And our voice will indicate where we're at. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so we're going to categorize these voices. We'll give you five voices tonight or five kinds of voices we hear around the cross or from the cross because our last voice is the voice of Christ. But the first voice or the voices we hear are the voices of contempt. I think they're the loudest voices as we read this. If I, In my thinking, as I read through this text, you read through Mark chapter 15, Luke chapter 23, and John chapter 18 and 19, the loudest voices in your text are the voices that are crying out of hatred and envy and despite for the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you there's nothing different. You know the loudest voices in our culture are today? People who hate Jesus Christ. People who hate God are the loudest in saying, we don't want religion running our world. We want free from religion. We reject the Bible. It's a man's book. Jesus is a fraud. Christians are fraud. Christianity is a fraud. And there's envy and despite in their hearts out of pride. And they are loud voices. I find it very interesting. What was one of the statements stated over and over in the account of Jesus' crucifixion by people walking around the cross or standing at the cross, if thou be the Son of God. Does anybody else remember who coined that phrase? Satan did. In Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, Satan comes to Jesus and says, if thou be the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread. And if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from this. You know what he's saying? You're not really who you think you are. And if you were, you'd prove it by doing what I say. So I told you on Thursday night, Satan is a manipulator. 
He wants to get us to do what he wants by thinking we're doing what we want. And these men have no idea. I don't believe that's why Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't believe these men had any idea that they were pawns in the hands of Satan to throw in the face of Jesus. If you were really the Son of God, you wouldn't be on that cross. The truth is, that's why he was on the cross. Because he's the Son of God. And so then, uh, we find voices of contempt. Who they were, the Bible gives us a few groups here that were, that were railing on the Lord Jesus. The word is used railing. They reviled him. The other word that God uses to describe what they did was derided him. The word deride means to laugh at in contempt, to turn to ridicule or make sport of or to mock or to treat with scorn by laughter. To revile means to reproach or to treat with contemptuous language. To rail on somebody is to clamor with insulting language, using, uttering reproachful words. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how much disdain and reproach is thrown toward Jesus Christ and his people today. It's not okay to reproach people who are living in sin. I'm not encouraging that you do. But the world is absolutely okay. If you want to take Jesus' name in vain, have at it. Can you imagine if you started throwing around some leader's name in vain? That is uh, sensitivity uh, we have in our culture today. Oh, man, if you use some person's name in the culture as slang or to, to be derogatory, but if you want to use Jesus' name in vain, have at it. You want to use God's name in vain, have at it. There's derision today and mockery toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's doing it here? Let's just let's pay close attention. In this, in this text, the Bible says that it was the religious leaders... That's Luke uh, or Matthew twenty-seven forty-one. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders. These are the people you would think would admire the Lord Jesus Christ, would worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. False religion today still hates the Lord Jesus Christ, <laughs> and they still mock and revile uh, the Lord and His people. And so it's the chief priests and the scribes and all those. Uh, and then we move on down. There were, the Bible says there were those that just passed by. Verse 39. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. Just passers by. Just people on, on their way in life. Ha <laughs> ha, that Jesus. I tell you, I thought he said he was the son of God. The Bible says, I believe in Mark's gospel or Luke's one of the two, that the soldiers railed on him. You know what's worst of all? In this text, the Bible says the thieves did the same thing. Verse 44, the thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. This is amazing to me. The criminal element are mocking Jesus Christ. The religious element is mocking Jesus Christ. The cultural elite and the cultural bottom and everybody in between are mocking the Lord Jesus Christ because they have a heart of contempt toward God. And so then that comes out how they treat the person of Jesus Christ. Those are the voices of contempt. Again, they're railing, reviling, deriding him. I I want you to think for just a moment, especially we who know that Christ is our Savior. I've shared this with you many times, you who are, are, are part of this church. One of the greatest difficulties I have had in my life when it comes to something that angers me is treat me publicly like I'm an idiot. And it just, oh, that's so hard. You put yourself in Jesus' shoes. Here is God in flesh. Hanging on a cross, not because he had to. Jesus said plainly in John chapter 10, No man taketh my life from me, I lay it down of myself. Meaning he could have been off of that cross if he wanted. He could have killed everybody there. He had the power in his hand to do it. 
And he refused to. And while he is hanging there because he is paying for the sins of the people that are sinning against him right then and there, they're calling him names, suggesting that he's a fraud. You're not really the son of God or you wouldn't be hanging up there. Now, how would you react? I've said it before and I'll say it again. If I had the power to stop that through some vengeful act, I don't think I'd have the restraint not to. But he did. He stood there while they reviled him, derided him, said nasty things about him. Not just the chief priests and scribes, the soldiers, the, the military, the thieves that are hanging next to him, men hanging next to him who are getting what they deserved, treating him like he's filth, treating him like he is the worst thing that ever stepped into humanity when instead he's perfect. And so we have the voice of contempt. Now listen closely. You know as well as I do, the voice of contempt is loud in our world today. It's loud. It's in our music. It's in false religion. You, you ever heard, have you ever heard people that reject salvation by grace through faith talk about be, people who believe in salvation by faith? You ever heard how they speak of faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? It's railing and derision. Why? Because the heart toward Jesus Christ is the same. Uh, he, is, he is taking the place that they want, and so the voice of contempt is loud in our world. Number two, there's not, not all voices are voices of contempt. Look at John chapter nine with, 19 with me. And if you don't have time, I'm going to try to keep moving along here. John chapter 19, there's voices, and I'm going to call this voices of curiosity, meaning there's interest and intrigue, but not trust. John, there are some people who talk about Jesus and they're intrigued with him. They're intrigued with what knowing about him and how it might benefit them. But they're not approaching him as the son of God. They're approaching him as a novelty. I mean, Jesus Christ is still the most well-known human being in all of humanity. Is he not? Well, I'm interested in somebody that's that well-known. Then we find this crowd at the foot of the cross. John 19, verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. I can just hear it. Somebody says, you know what? We don't want to just throw these clothes away. These belong to Jesus. This man is, if he's nothing else, he's popular. I mean, if he's nothing else, you think about how many people have followed him. I think if we could keep some of his garment, guys, we got a piece of history here now. So they're about to tear it up and divide among this. No, no, you don't want to tear it. That'll mess up a piece of history. I don't know who this guy is, but I want in on this thing. May I say how many people there are today who are not sincere about Jesus Christ, but boy, they're intrigued. There are those, and I don't know if they wanted his garments to later sell and make money. I don't know that, but my imagination goes there to say, hmm, I wonder if some of those soldiers thought, I bet this will be worth something someday when this man's dead and gone. He was popular. One day we'll say, yep, I got the coat of Jesus, and maybe we can charge people to come look at it. Do you know if anybody's ever done anything like that? Anybody ever used the name of Jesus to make a buck? Anybody ever use the name of Jesus to just like a novelty? Look, you can turn on your TV and find plenty of televangelists that this is where they are. We want our cut of the pie. We want our piece of Jesus. 
Yeah, we want, we will sell you a prayer cloth. It's got special things. Look it. There are those today who know about Jesus. They've heard his voice. They're not contemptuous. They're just curious. They just want some part. They just, they want to talk about it and they want to get in on this thing. And they say, you know what? If I can get something from him that will profit me, yeah, you bet. There's the voices of curiosity. Their interest was, I want something from him. But you know what? They didn't want from him what was really valuable. What was valuable from Jesus was not his physical clothing. What was valuable from Jesus was his righteousness. They weren't really interested in his righteousness, just something that they could have tangible, some tangible peace that comes from Jesus that they might say, see, I knew who he was. They weren't true believers. They were just curious. So there's the voice of contempt. There's the voices of curiosity. Then there are voices of confusion. Matthew 26, verse 46. Matthew 27, I mean, verse 46. The Bible says, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Do you and I know what Jesus said here? We know what he said in Hebrew, and we have the translation for us. right? But not everybody around that knew what he said. There are people that were literally standing in earshot, and they heard him say, Eli, Eli. The other text is, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which being interpreted is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That, that statement has deep, deep truth and meaning. God had turned away from Jesus because our sin, he became our sin. And yet there were those that missed it and said, I think he's trying to get Elijah to come and get him off the cross. Meaning this, there are people today who know what God said they think. And they start giving interpretations to what God said, but they really don't know. Listen closely to what happened here. The, the Jesus cries out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And we know exactly what he said and what it meant. But there were those that were standing there and they completely botched it. Was he asking about, was he saying anything about Elijah or Elias? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, yet there are voices today who will say, well, the Bible says this, and this is what I think it means. And I haven't got a clue. Has anything changed? <laughs> we got voices of contempt. Ooh, if Jesus were really who the Bible says, if God were really good, why are there bad things in the world? That's a voice of contempt. If God really created us, how do you explain X, Y, or Z? If Jesus is the only way of salvation, then what about the Buddhists? Those are voices of contempt. Then there are voices of curiosity that say, I don't know who he is, but if I can get something out of being near him, you betcha I'm in on it. Then there are voices of confusion that think they know what he said, but they don't. All right? At about the ninth hour, verse 46, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 47, some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And somebody ran real quick and got a sponge. And then some said, No, leave it alone. See if he'll come. See if it'll happen. See if Elijah will show up. I believe they sincerely wanted to know. Some of them thought, maybe, maybe he's asking for Elias, Elijah, to come. Here's the thing. There are some who grab the Bible and say, this is what the Bible say, and it's not even close. Because they're just, they're listening and there's confusion. He makes a statement and they put their own interpretation on it. But the Bible says the scripture is of no private interpretation. What does that mean, by the way? That's in 2 Peter chapter 1. What does it mean that the scripture is not of any private interpretation? 
Does that mean people won't give their own private interpretation? Or that there's truly only one interpretation to God's word? And how do we determine that? How did we get the interpretation of this statement we're reading tonight? The Holy Spirit of God preserved it and he lives. You have to have him living in you to tell you what it means. Let me just say this. When unsaved people take a stab at what they think the Bible means, it results in confusion. The things of the Word of God are spiritually discerned. So if, you don't have, if you've never been born again, you can't understand what the Bible says. You remember Acts chapter 8, the eunuch was in his chariot riding along, and here's a man that is sincere. He wants to know the truth. And he's reading the book of Isaiah, and Philip the evangelist comes along and crawls up in that chariot with him, and he says, Understandest thou what thou readest? And what did that old eunuch say? How can I accept some man should guide me? You know, he's saying, I hear what I'm reading, but I don't understand it. And so Philip, from that, that passage of Scripture, preached unto him Jesus. And a man who had the Holy Spirit in him showed another man who didn't have the Holy Spirit what God was really saying. Listen closely. That's still how God saves people today. One person who's been saved takes the Bible and shows another person who's not saved how to be. That's it. That's simple. And when unsaved people try to interpret what Jesus says, somebody says, how do we get so many religions in the world? I mean, how many of you have been asked something like this? A voice of contempt says to you, I mean, how many Christian denominations are there? As many lost people as there are taking a stab at what they think Jesus said. That's how many, that's how many religions we have out there. But yeah, I find this interesting. When you find somebody that's truly been born again, they come to generally the same conclusions about what the Word of God says. Unless, I'll say this, unless at some point in time they get out of sorts with the Lord, even as a Christian, and then you can get off base with what the Word of God says. So there's the voice of contempt. There's voices of curiosity. There's voices of confusion. He wants Elijah to come. He never wanted Elijah to come. That wasn't what he was saying. And then finally, we have, we have two more voices, two more voices. We've seen the voice of contempt, the voices of curiosity, Voices of confusion. But then we find in Luke chapter 23 a voice of contrition. Now you're standing in the centurion's shoes. You've heard the high priest and you've heard the scribes and you've heard the Pharisees. You've heard what they think of Jesus. He's not really the son of God or he would come down. You've heard what the soldiers think of Jesus. Well, I don't know who he is, but if I can get some of his clothes, it sounds like a good deal to me. You've heard what these False interpreters think of Jesus. He just wants down from the cross and he's uh, in a last-ditch effort. He wants Elijah to come and rescue him. But then all of a sudden, one of the same people earlier that was a voice of contempt, his voice changes. And he begins to speak to Jesus again. Luke chapter 23. I tell you what, for, 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 for cults and false religions that reject salvation by grace, they have a very hard time with this passage of Scripture. I've heard of some people that say, mm, there's a comma in here that doesn't belong. There's a comma. This man didn't get saved on this day. He didn't go to heaven this day. The translators and the writers missed a comma. And Jesus said to him on that day, but he didn't go to paradise. Those are still voices of contempt. Don't pay attention to that. Amen? Luke chapter 23. We hear, remember I said, Matthew, make note. How many of the thieves railed on Jesus? One of them or both of them? Two. And but on these during these hours while Jesus is suffering on the cross, one of them is hearing the same thing that centurion's hearing. 
He's hearing everything Jesus' enemies are saying about him. And he's hearing how Jesus is responding. The first statement from Jesus on the cross, before I get to my final point, the first statement, anybody know what the first statement was? Father, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. We'll say more about that statement in a moment. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't like this. I don't like it about me, and I so desire to be more like my Savior. But I'm, I am concerned <laughs> that if I were being martyred, the first statement in my mouth would not be, Lord, please don't be hard on these people. They don't, they're blind, and they don't realize what they're doing. God, please don't take vengeance on them because of what they're doing to me. If I had the power to call for it and I knew God would do it, you know what I would want? My, I'm just talking about my flesh. Hey, God, they are treating me, your servant, this way. Get them. That's wicked, though, by the way. Because if he did that to them, that's what he's got to do to me. So here on this cross, you have this man, this malefactor, this thief, hanging next to Jesus who has joined the voices of contempt at one point, saying, yeah, yeah. If you were the son of God, what are you doing up here with us thieves? You must be just like us. But at some point in time, God in his mercy granted this man some repentance. Would you agree? some point in time, the man says, you know what, I'm wrong. I've mocked him and treated him like he's nothing more than a joke or some game or some fraud, but I'm wrong. He is exactly who he says he is. And so Luke chapter 23, verse 39, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly? For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Now you're in the centurion's shoes. You're hearing this. I'm assuming he could hear us at the base. He's at the foot of the cross. And this thief up here is saying to the other thief, can you imagine hearing this conversation take place? You're hearing Jesus utter something. You say, what did he just say? What did he just say? He said, Father, forgive them. And then a little while later, you hear both those thieves carrying on. Yeah, yeah, if you were the son of God. But I wonder with a little more suffering, one of those thieves thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm getting what I deserve. I'm about to go into eternity right now. And I'm taking my time to join the voice of those who are mocking this man. And Jesus is asked by this man, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And I'm standing there as a centurion thinking, now what's he going to say to him? Buddy, not after the way you spoke to me a few minutes ago. Don't you ask me to help you when you mocked me 30 minutes ago or an hour ago. Sorry, pal. You're a malefactor. You're getting what you deserve. No. I don't think centurions were known for their kindness and benevolence. And I wonder if he thought Jesus, how Jesus would answer him. I don't know, but I know how Jesus answered him. The malefactor says, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. Now, I've used this as an illustration before we move on just a moment to our final point. How many of you have been near someone and within 24 to 48 hours that individual passed away because they were so sick, so ill? How many of you, if you knew that's where they were, someone was given just days to live and you went to visit them knowing they're on their deathbed, how many of you would ask them to take a fishing trip with you next year? 
I'm not, I'm not making light of death. We don't do that. You don't ask dying people to do anything with you or for you. Because once they're dead, what? They can't. You say, why are you saying this? I believe with all my heart, this malefactor, this thief hanging next to Jesus, knew that Jesus' death was not the end of him. He said, "When thou, dead people don't come into kingdoms. He believed in the resurrection before it ever happened. Amen? So what happens is, as this man is hanging here, there's a recognition. The lights come on. In the midst of all these voices of contempt, this is what encourages me. Will anybody get saved in a world that has so much contempt toward Jesus? Oh, yes, because they got saved then. Most of the voices were voices of contempt, voices of confusion, voices of curiosity. Sure, cast lots, let me have some. But in the midst of all that, Jesus continued to speak. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Mother, behold thy son. Son, behold thy... uh, John, behold thy mother. Those are statements that took place. Don't you think these men hanging here said, on the cross, he's not thinking about himself. We've heard a theme from the testimonies of our young men this week. When I get my mind on myself and my thoughts on myself, I drift. Whether it's confidence in self or desire for what I want. Can you imagine if you had nails in your hands and in your feet thinking about somebody else's needs? And the Lord did declare his thirst but he didn't say, bring me anything. He just said, I thirst. Truth? That's declaring he's human. He suffered just like us. We'll get to that statement in just a moment. My point is this. Here's a thief, a malefactor hanging next to him, observing all that's going on, and there came a point where he said, I'm wrong. I am wrong. I have mocked this man. I have rejected him. And he recognized in a moment of time who Jesus was and who he was. And when he recognized that, he recognized what he must do. And we find a few things here. He recognized the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognized that Jesus had done nothing sinful ever. He's sinlessly perfect. He recognized he deserved to die. He said, "We have this man have done nothing amiss, but we're suffering and we indeed justly, is what the man said, meaning we are getting the due reward of our deeds. The wages of sin is death. And he says to Jesus, he turns to him and makes a request of him, Lord, When thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. You know what he's saying? I believe you have the ability to save me from an eternity of judgment. I mean, that's really what he's saying. You you have the power to overcome death. Would you you please remember me? I'm asking you to help me. I don't know if that's the model prayer, but it is. Because he's putting his trust in who? Does he turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you'd get me off this cross, I'll turn my life around. No, no, he knows he's going to die. But he says, I'm about to enter into eternity and I'm asking you to do something about it. You know what Jesus said? This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. So there's a voice of contrition. In the midst of contempt, in the midst of curiosity and confusion, you will find those who are wholly and fully trusting in Jesus Christ to take care of their sins. That's the voice you're hearing tonight. There's voice after voice in this room that says, you know what? If God sent me to hell, I would deserve it. And I have no power to help myself and save me from it. But I know he does. And so I'm trusting him and I've asked him, Lord, would you save me? Would you remember me? Amen? And so then there's a voice of contempt and voices of curiosity and voices of confusion and voices, a voice of contrition. 
Now, the voice of Christ is in response to all these other voices. In response to the voice of contempt, we find the voice of Christ. That's our final, is a voice of patience. A voice of patience. Luke 23, again, verse 43. And Jesus said unto him, that's not the verse I want. Forgive me. Go back to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. We'll come back to Luke 23 in just a moment. Matthew 27. We remember what Jesus said initially when he was put on the cross. Forgive me. Luke 23 is where we want to be. Verse 34. So forgive me. Verse 33 and verse 34. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. When I read this verse, I think of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where the Bible says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want to remind you tonight, the Lord Jesus is not desirous that anybody should die in their sins and go to hell. No one. That's, why, that's what he's saying on the cross. Father, what he realizes is he's God's only begotten son. If that was your son, would you be angry? Would you want to wipe those people out that are spitting on your son and punching him in the face and beating him because he loves them? If that was my boy, you know what I'd want to do? I'd want to get him. But Jesus said, Father, please don't. They don't know what they're doing. Be patient with them. Aren't you glad God is patient? Now, I don't ask you to lift your hand, but how many have ever said anything nasty about God? You've ever used his name in vain? You've ever said, I don't care what he wants. Maybe you didn't say it with your mouth, but you said it in your heart. What should God do when we have that attitude toward him? How many have ever said, I don't really care about this whole Jesus thing. I I couldn't care less. I don't really care about what they talk about in church and Sunday school. I don't care. What should God do if we don't care about his son? He should get us, but God's long-suffering. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants us, like the malefactor on the cross, to come to repentance and say, I am wrong. I cannot treat the Lord Jesus like anybody else. I can't just lightly uh, let him, uh, you know, respond to him with not without faith. That's not right. So the first thing we find in the voice of Christ is his voice is a voice of patience. The Bible said he would have all men to be saved and come under the knowledge of the truth. He's patient. If he weren't, we wouldn't be alive today. The world would be wiped out, but he's patient. Number two, his voice is a voice of perfection. And I'll just mention this. We won't turn there and read for time's sake, but in John 19, 26 and 27, I mentioned this already. He's hanging on the cross. He's suffering greatly, but he looks down and his mother is there and he says, Mother, behold thy son. Then he says to John the apostle, behold thy mother. Why does he say this and why does God record that he says it? On the cross, he's honoring his mother like God said to. Here, Jesus as a man is the perfect man. One of my ambitions as a Christian is to say, even when I'm suffering, I want to be kind. Even when I'm suffering, I want to be thinking of others. I said I want to be. Where do I get that desire from? My Savior. When Jesus was being treated worse than any man has ever been treated, His mind is not about what he wanted or what he needed. His mind was about what his mother needed and about fulfilling his responsibilities as a firstborn son. And if I'm going to die, she's got to be taken care of. And one of the last things he did was he said, I'm going to take care of her and make sure she's cared for. He's perfect. How many of you could meet that standard? (laughs) 
The Lord Jesus Christ is perfect. I'll just be honest with you. When I'm suffering, you know who I'm thinking about naturally? It may be a toe ache. And that's he is going through far more than that. For me, if I'm suffering, I want everybody to know. Now, help me now. I feel bad. Help me. But when Christ rules in your heart, no, that's not the way it works. And here he is on the cross, not thinking of himself, not focused on himself, but as the perfect, sinless son of God. He's caring for his mother, making sure her needs are met in fulfillment of God's requirement. And so then it's a voice of patience. It's a voice of perfection. But undoubtedly, while he's hanging on the cross, his voice indicates that it, there is much pain, much pain. John nineteen twenty eight, Jesus said, I thirst, meaning they had deprived him of water. He was undoubtedly extremely, extremely uh, uh, dehydrated. And they said, he said, I thirst. And they gave him something that would only make him more thirsty. They offered him first wine mingled with myrrh or with gall. They offered him that to dull his pain. And you know what he said? I'm going to fully feel the pain of your sins. And I'm not going to have it numbed by alcohol. And he didn't. He refused it. They offered him vinegar later. Vinegar doesn't make quench your thirst. It makes you more thirsty. Here's what I want you to understand. He suffered in a twofold way. He suffered physically. They beat him. They put crowns of thorns in his head, nails in his hands and his feet. That's his physical pain. I don't believe any human has ever suffered. I know. No human has ever suffered like he did. Because he suffered physically. And the other statement he makes, we already read, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was thirsty physically. What his physical body needed, he did not have. What his soul needed, he did not have. The one thing that sustained Jesus Christ through his entire earthly life was he said, my Father is with me. But on the cross, he became us. You think about the nastiest sin. There, there are men in our jail and they have to be separated from the other rest of, of the criminals because the criminals hate them because they are the nasty criminals. You with me? So what they say is, man, we're not, you think about the worst of the worst and the Lord Jesus Christ became that on the cross. He hath made him to be... He, Jesus never sinned. I didn't say that. He became all of our sin and God judged our sin when Jesus died. And when he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was feeling what it feels like for God to say, I can have nothing to do with you because you are so filthy. Not because Jesus is filthy, but because he became our sin. Isaiah 53, 4 through 6 are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. They're so powerful. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Now listen to me tonight. You ever want a picture of how ugly your sin is? You study what we're reading right now. The cross shows how horrible sin is, but it also shows you how wonderful God is. That God would become us and go through what he went through so you and I don't have to. You listen to me now. You never have to experience God saying, depart from me, I never knew you. 
Listen to me closely. You'll never hear more horrific words than that in your entire existence than God saying, I have no place for you in heaven. No one has to experience that because Jesus already did. He already experienced, I can have nothing to do with you. And why? What, what did Christ do to deserve that? Nothing. He went through that because of what we've done. What I've done, what you've done. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Mm. You listen closely. If you're saved here tonight, what I'm preaching to you tonight will motivate you to serve the Lord until he calls you home. Nothing. We can talk about how bad sin is and how it'll hurt you and how it will damage you, but if you can get a hold of how your sin hurt Christ, then you'll live for him. Amen? And so tonight, the voice of Christ, listen, here they are reviling him, deriding him, and what's his answer? Father, forgive them. They they know not what they do. Don't punish them because of what they're doing to me. Hold it back. Be merciful, Father. Long-suffering. It's a voice of perfection. Mother, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. And then it's a voice of pain. I thirst. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We know why. It's also a voice of pardon. After he's cried those things, a man says to him, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And he might have said, Don't you see the agony I'm in? I don't have time to think about you. And he turned to him and he said, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today I'm going to be in paradise and you don't deserve to be there, but you're going to be there with me. (laughs) A voice of pardon. When a man turned to him and said, I want you to deliver me. You know what Jesus said? It's done. It's done. How long did that old thief have to reform his life before Jesus would promise him a home in heaven? (laughs) Not at all. He had to simply put his faith in him and then the Lord Jesus took care of it. It's a voice of pardon. It's a voice of peace. Look at Luke 23, 46. We're almost done. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. You know what he's saying? Even though I am dying and I am accomplishing what I was sent, he died with peace that he was doing exactly what he was supposed to do and with trust in his heavenly Father. From a human perspective, he said, I'm going to die now. And Father, I'm leaving my spirit in your hands. Three days later, you know what the Father did? Raised him up. You know what Jesus did? Raised himself up. <laughs> Someone said, who raised Jesus from the dead? The Father or himself or the Holy Spirit? And the answer is, yes, he's God. <laughs> so it's a voice of peace, though. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And then John 19.30, we all know this statement. What did he say? It is finished. Now, you listen closely because every false religion, if they were truthful, would teach this. At the cross, Jesus said, it is started. But Jesus didn't say it is started. He said, it is finished. What does that mean? It means he did everything necessary to make you righteous with God. We are justified, meaning treated as if we've never sinned, by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus didn't do something on the cross to give you an example to get you started on your way to heaven. What he did on the cross did everything to finish so you can go to heaven. When he said it is finished, what's that? That's a voice of prosperity, meaning he said, I did what I came to do. May I ask something? What else do you need to do tonight to pay God for your sins? 
nothing. Jesus paid for them. What you need to do is trust him. Amen? So as a voice of prosperity, it is finished. Now, is it no wonder that the centurion, when he got done, said, truly this was the Son of God. You listen to all the voices, and if in the midst of a voice of contempt and voices of confusion and people that are just curious, you can hear the voice of Christ dealing with someone who's contrite. You can hear in the midst of that the voice of Jesus Christ still saying, ah, I still want to save sinners. Look, the world has not treated Jesus as he deserves. Then why doesn't he turn his wrath loose? Because his heart is still, I want to save him. I don't want to destroy him. Now tonight, you may be here, and maybe God's trying to show you, you've sinned against God. You're in trouble with God. But Jesus has already done everything necessary for you to be forgiven. And what you Listen, what you need tonight is not more confused people telling you how to be confused. You need to hear the voice of Jesus Christ saying, that if you'll come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. And amen. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. He says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me. Can you actually come to Christ tonight? Is it by walking this aisle? No, that's something you do in your heart. You can walk an aisle if you want to. But it's you turning. He lives. He hears you. I asked a man last night, do you believe Jesus Christ can hear our conversation right now? I'll ask you the same. Do you believe he can hear what's going on here tonight? Do you believe Jesus Christ literally hears the thoughts of your heart right now? Oh, you better believe he's answering them right now. question is, are you going to listen to and join the voices of contempt, voices of confusion? Or shall you and I step into the shoes of the centurion of the malefactor and say, he is truly the Son of God, Lord Jesus, remember me. Mm-hmm.